Good morning, New Life. This morning I will be reading from Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. All right. Well, one of the fun things, at least uh, by doing services this way, is that we get to involve other people with reading the scriptures, and everybody kind of does it in their own context, and and uh, Phil kind of gives you that masterpiece theater sort of feel uh, to it. So that, that was kind of fun. Well, a, a number of years ago, when Marlene and I were getting married, uh, my little brother Paul and uh, my college roommate, who was my roommate at the time, Ed, uh, decided to throw a bachelor party for me. And so they told me uh, at this bachelor party, we're going to go out for a really nice dinner. So wear a suit and tie and dress shoes and make sure you look nice. And so uh, I did that, you know, trusting my brother and my roommate. And uh, I show up to the place where we're going to meet. And it turns out everybody else is wearing basketball clothes because we were not going out for dinner. They just ordered some Pizza Hut and we were going to play basketball in the gym. That was the bachelor party. And I was dressed inappropriately uh, because, you know, Dress shoes are not normally appropriate for basketball. And yet, dressed like that, I still beat my roommate in basketball that day, but that's a story for another sermon. But the point is, when it comes to clothes, the context determines what's appropriate, right? So dress shoes aren't appropriate for basketball. There have been uh, a couple of times where I've done funerals for people I love and I wanted to honor, and I wore things at the funeral that I would never be caught wearing otherwise. When we said goodbye to Brother Jack Reed, I wore a UofL uh, vest. I have never worn another UofL thing since then, okay? Um, 
Uh, but I did that because I loved him, wanted to honor him. Last week or week before when we said goodbye uh, to our brother Omar, uh, I wore a Dallas Cowboys jersey because I love Omar, wanted to honor Omar, but I would never, ever be caught wearing a jersey. I know some of the people said, I know you snuck into your closet and wore that Cowboys jersey. I did not. I only wore it in the context of that funeral because I love Omar. The point is, it was a certain situation, a context that made that clothing appropriate. It would not be appropriate for me to wear Speedos into the pulpit, okay? It would, yes, there's a, yeah, uh, there's some people cringing right now. I, my parent, my kids at home are cringing uh, because it would never be appropriate for me to wear Speedos. Um, and uh, because swimsuits are appropriate at the beach, but not at the White House, right? If you're going to go to the White House, you'd be expected to wear a suit and tie. Uh, but you don't need to wear a suit and tie when you're mowing your grass uh, because it would be uncomfortable and you probably get reported uh, on the snitch line that, you, you know, you're going crazy. Um, uh, so uh, not long ago, I was meeting uh, with a group of pastors with the governor and they told us, don't wear a sweatsuit, you know, don't wear a sweatshirt to meet the governor. Respect that whether you voted for the guy or not, you respect the office, you respect the man, and you wear a suit and tie and you dress a certain way because of the office, because the context determines what's appropriate. Now, Paul, in this text that Phil read, says that there are some appropriate things to wear because we aren't meeting with a president or a governor. No, we've been raised with Christ. So because of that, there's some ways that we are to clothe ourselves that are appropriate to our position in Christ. In other words, since we're in Christ, we are a new self, Paul says in verse 10. And in the new self, there's some ways that we should dress. When we were the old self, there was some things we did. There were some certain things we wore, we, some things we did, some things we said, some things we believed that now we should take that off because that was the old self. And now we should clothe ourselves with new things. There was a a TV show that was on uh, several years back that we used to watch every once in a while. It was called What Not to Wear, right? I don't know if you guys remember this. It was a guy uh, and this lady, and so somebody would come out wearing whatever they were wearing, and they were like, this is sort of my style, and they would go, well, actually, you look terrible. Uh, and, you know, they would just say, you know, and so you need to do this. You need to do, you know, you wear a belt, six joints, your, your waist or whatever. If you, you know, if you want to make your shoulders look bigger, do this. If you want to make this look smaller, you do this. You know, and it was like, here's what you should wear. So today we're going to start a new series. Of, it's not going to be what not to wear. It's what to wear. And the title of today's message is what to wear in a pandemic. What to wear in a pandemic. Now, I'm sure that the first place your mind goes when you hear what to wear in a pandemic is mask and gloves, and those are things to physically wear in a pandemic. And I remember, and you probably do too, when this whole thing started, the first time I went into Kroger, and about a third of the people were wearing masks, it felt like I was in this apocalyptic movie. I mean, has anybody had that feeling? Like, you walk, it's like, it's, the, it's like I, I expected a zombie to show up, and I had this weird desire to carry a gun. I don't, it was just, it's bizarre times we're living in. But when I say to you uh, what to wear in a pandemic, I don't just mean physically. I'm talking about spiritually. Masks and gloves are getting a lot of press these days, and, and rightfully so, I suppose. But there is a spiritual clothing that is actually far more important if you're in a pandemic or any other time for that matter. 
So what I want to do today is look at this text in Colossians 3. So if you haven't done it yet, grab your coffee, grab your Bible. And we're going to look at this, and I'm just going to give us the big picture today. This is kind of the scene from 35,000 feet. Um, And in upcoming weeks, we're going to drill down in each of these articles of clothing to see what it looks like to dress like this during a pandemic. And I might add, during an election year. Now, one of the positive things of the pandemic is nobody cares about the election right now. And that's kind of fun because we've missed out on a lot of ugliness so far, which was probably going to come up. But it is an election year. We are being quarantined. But how should we dress on this year? Well, Colossians 3 tells us. It says, Paul says that since you've been raised with Christ, and by the way, if you are in Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have been raised to new life with him. Since that's true, Paul says, set your heart, set your mind where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, elevate your gaze from your situation to where Jesus is. Not just on a pandemic, lift your mind, lift your heart to where Jesus is seated. Now, I've noticed that in my life, when I start to feel overwhelmed, a very high percentage of the time, it's because my focus is on the pandemic or my focus is on whatever situation is going on in my life, which is why one of the things that I would just commend to all of us is uh, to not watch too much media. I, I mean, be, be educated, please. Be educated, be informed, absolutely do that. But, but listen, whatever you focus on, you become. Whatever you focus on, you become. So one of the things we want to do in the middle of this pandemic is we want to lift our eyes. Well, yes, be educated, know what's going on, but we want to lift our eyes and our hearts to where Jesus is seated. And then Paul says, you've got this old self that used to dress this way. Put off that and put on the new self because if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a new you. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So you've been made new. You're actually a new person. And in this new person, it's all about Jesus. This is kind of an interesting thing. It was the old you was all about you. But that's being put on. The new you is all about Jesus. He says this in verse 11. Here, and here is the new you, if you look at the context. This new person, the new self. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, But Christ is all and is in all. And then he goes into verses 12 to 14, which form, this is the core text for this series, those verses 12 to 14. And you're going to see this up on the screen right now. Because this is what it says, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, that's who you are. Paul says we're going to start with your identity, it starts with who you are. Since you are that, therefore, clothe yourselves with these seven things, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he says, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's a beautiful picture of love as a belt. Love is this belt that ties these other six 
articles of clothing together in perfect unity. This is how you should dress in a pandemic. Clothe yourselves with these things. Now, look at those seven articles of clothing again. Who do they remind you of? The, the, the less than 10 people in the room can shout it out if you think you know the answer. You can shout it out. Play along at home. Who do you think, who does that really look like, these seven things? Who does that really look like? Jesus. Okay, look, if you're at church, you don't know the answer, just say Jesus. It's probably 98% of the time it's going to be right. Um, so, yes, it's Jesus. So, Paul isn't just saying here, okay, everybody be nice. That's not what he's saying. Just, just be nice. No, he's saying something much more jarring, much more radical, because these are the qualities displayed in Jesus. Jesus embodied and lived out these things perfectly and beautifully and completely. So basically, here's what Paul is saying. Put on, here's how you clothe yourself. Put on Jesus. In fact, in another place, he says exactly that. Romans 13, verse 14, he says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Imagine, if during this pandemic, when fear is running rampant with a lot of people, there's anxiety, there, there, there's frustration, there's some anger out there, it's running rampant. What if in the middle of all of that, we lived out of the new self and we put on Jesus? How do you think it would impact the city? Forget the city for a second. How would it impact your marriage? How would it impact your children? How would it impact our church if we put on Jesus? And, 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 and what if we did it all the time? Like not just on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. that we, you know, we gotta get, try to put on Jesus when we come to church like, or, or, you know, do the live stream. What, what if we put on Jesus even when we were on social media? I don't know if you know this or not, but as a Christian, you're supposed to be a disciple of Jesus like all the time. Not, not, you know, it's not like you quit being a disciple when you get on social media. What, what if we put on Jesus and, and what, what if we look like Jesus? What, what if we acted like Jesus? Do you think that would be attractive? I mean, if you read the Gospels, sinners were attracted to Jesus. Now, the religious elite weren't attracted to him. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. They did kill him. But sinners were attracted to Jesus. I mean, Jesus, you know, the text says, as, as, as my friend Jim Newsom has reminded me, it, it, uh, the text says that Jesus was a friend of sinners, not just friendly to sinners. I mean, it's one thing to be friendly to somebody. It's another thing to be their actual friend. These sinners saw Jesus. There was something about Jesus that was magnetic about his personality. He's, there was a fire in him, and people were drawn to that. Well, so what if we put on Jesus? My uncle tells a story about a little church, and I think it was in Western Kentucky or something. Uh, there was a thunderstorm one night, and uh, the church building got struck by lightning and caught on fire. And the building was burning down, and so people in the neighborhoods around it came out to watch the firefighters. They're trying to put out the fire, trying to save the structure. Uh, and as they were trying to put out the fire, um, uh, there was a guy who came out of his house to look, and he had been invited by the pastor to church like dozens of times, and it was like one of those cases, I'll be there on Sunday, pastor. Never was there, right? But he shows up to watch the, the, the church building burning down, and so the pastor sees that, and he gets, you know, he's a little irritated because sometimes pastors get irritated. And, and, so, and so he's a little irritated, so he walks over to the guy, and he says, this is the first time you've ever been at church. The guy looks at the pastor and says, well, this is the first time the church has ever been on fire. 
Now, it just occurs to me, maybe sometimes people don't come to church because we're not on fire. Like, like there was a fire about Jesus' personality. There was a fire to him that people were drawn to. And I just wonder if we put on Jesus, would people be attracted to that? Brennan Manning uh, tells a story in his book, The Signature of Jesus. Uh, and in the story, uh, there's five uh, salesmen who um, were from Milwaukee, and they had to go to a, a sales conference in Chicago. And they all told their wives they would be back by dinner that night. And as these things happened, uh, the sales thing went too long. Uh, and they were having to run through the train station to, to get to, uh, to catch their train to be able to get back. And as they were running through, uh, one of them, or two of them actually, ran over a little boy who was selling apples uh, right out in the terminal there. Uh, this was many, many years ago. Uh, and he was selling apples, and they ran over him, and the apples went everywhere, but they had to catch this train, so they all keep running. And one of them stops and goes, I got to go back and help this kid. Just when you get there, call my wife and tell her I'm going to be a couple hours late because I'm going to have to catch the next one. Um, and so he goes back, and he was glad he did because it turns out the little boy wasn't just selling apples, he was blind. And he was having trouble finding the apples that had been knocked down. And so this guy gets down, and he picks up the apples, and he notices that several of them have split open because they were knocked over. And he pulls $20 out of his wallet, and he says, here you go, son, this is 20 bucks to pay for the apples that we, that we ruined, and, and maybe you'll have a better day, and I'm so sorry, and God bless you. When the guy got up to leave, as he was walking away, the little boy said, Sir, are you Jesus? He, he had acted like he had put on Jesus, and, and this boy confused him with Jesus. Hey, has anybody ever confused you with Jesus? Like, hey, G oh, Shannon, oh, I, thought you, I thought it was Jesus. You acted just like Jesus. No, that's never happened to me either, right? But, but what if it did? What, what, if, what if we put on Jesus and clothed ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? And what if we forgave each other the way the Lord forgave us? And what if, what if we bound it all together with love? What do you think would happen? Just dream with me for a second. Dream with me. There's 2.3 billion Christians on the earth, 2.3 billion who call themselves Christians. What if 2.3 billion of us put on Jesus? think it would change the world okay maybe that's too big to think dream with me what about at your home today you put on jesus but how, how does that how, how would that affect your home what if what if when you went to work this week you 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 got clothed with your regular clothes i mean don't forget to do that that's very important wear your regular clothes but what if you also put on jesus now, as we're going to look at these clothing, these articles of clothing that we got to wear uh, to put on Jesus and dress like this, there's really two big ideas in these three short little verses. And, and by the way, I would commend to you to memorize Colossians 3, 12 to 14 as we go through this series. You're going to hear it over and over again. And there's two really big ideas that I'm just going to introduce today and then we'll be done. Um, and, and you're going to hear these week after week after week, okay? It's like Martin Luther said, uh, because we forget, we need the gospel beat into our heads continually, right? Well, well, here's what we need. We need the gospel beat into our heads, and so you're going to hear these big ideas over and over and over again, and I'm going to give them to you right now. Big idea number one is this. Behavior follows identity. 
behavior. Now, it's important to get, if you get those out of order, you no longer have the gospel. What you have is religion. See, Paul does not say, clothe yourselves with these things and give you the seven things, and then if you do that, then you'll be God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Right? As if, as if by your good deeds you saved, as if if you just do everything right, God will love you. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not, if I obey, then I get saved. That's not the gospel, right? He says, because you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, because of that, because of what Jesus has already accomplished, because on the cross, remember Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, meaning there's nothing left for you to do. There's not a single thing you can add to the cross of Jesus Christ to your own salvation, right? It's already been done. So because that's done, now this is who you are, wear these things. Do you see the difference? See, Paul, Paul here isn't just trying to modify the Colossians' behavior because behavior modification isn't the goal because behavior isn't the problem. See, he, he's trying to get them to see and believe their new identity in Christ and that will change their behavior. Because behavior follows identity. A lot of the time we focus on behavior and try to modify that when the problem is way deeper. See, Paul isn't saying, try harder. That's not what he's saying. And let me just tell you from experience, try harder, that try harder solution never works. Just, just try it. It doesn't make you like Jesus because at the base of everything, your behavior is not the problem. Believing that you are who God says you are is your problem. I mean, as in parenting, don't we do this sometimes? Sometimes with our kids, we kind of focus on their behavior and we try to correct their behavior. But, but really, there's something deeper. It's, it's, they're having an identity crisis. And, and the best thing for us to do somehow is, is to get a hold of their heart to say, this is who you are. And not just to tell them, but they get to believe it. This is who I am, and that behavior will follow identity. If you're leading a company, you've got a team of employees, and you're trying to get them to act a certain way, the best thing you can do is give them a sense of identity as a company. This is who we are as this company. And behavior will flow out of identity. You live out of your identity. If you think you are worthless garbage, that's how you'll behave. And, and some maybe maybe watching this right now, you, you struggle to overcome behaviors in your life, and you're trying harder, and, you're, and you really are trying hard. And you don't understand why you're caught up in it, and it's because you see yourself as the old you that Paul talked about, and you're living out of the, uh, that old identity instead of out of the new identity. So Paul says, that was the old, that's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. That was the old self. Now, who you are is God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved. I mean, let's just look at that. First, he says, you're God's chosen people. You know what that means? That means God picked you. We had the NFL draft this week and, and, the, and the Cincinnati uh, Bengals with the first pick, uh, picked Joe Burrows from um, from LSU, right? What, they, what does that mean? They said, you're on our team. We pick you. You know what? God says, you are God's chosen. God picked you for his team, which means he accepts you. He not just accepts you. He, he, actually, he actually likes you. This is kind of a weird thought for some people that God actually 
likes you. <laughs> he accepts you. He picked you. And he knows all of your flaws, all of your sins, all your mistakes, and he still picked you. That's who you are. You're chosen. He says you're holy. And I know some of you are thinking, well, hey, you know, I don't really feel holy. Well, with all due respect, uh, I'd like you just to consider the possibility that your feelings are wrong. Now, now listen, I don't, I'm not going to be the feeling police here and say, you know, because sometimes we come to church, this is how I feel. You shouldn't feel that way. Don't feel that way. That's not what I'm saying. Just if you have a feeling, it's a true feeling. You feel that way. Okay. But consider the possibility that your feeling doesn't correspond with truth. See, there are times uh, I'm, I'm, I don't, you know, to say I am holy. I don't feel holy. But guess what? God said I'm holy. So if God said I'm holy, guess what? I'm holy. So are you. Whether or not your feelings have lined up with that truth yet. That, see, God is so powerful. Whatever he says happens. His word is creative. In the beginning, he said, let there be light. Boom. Shakalaka. There was light. Right? And so the point is, whatever he says happens, and he says, you are holy. So you don't have to carry shame for your past because that's who you used to be. That's not who you are. Who you are is new, is, is holy. And then he says, you're dearly loved. Let this in. Do you have any idea how loved you are? The God of the universe came for you to die on the cross for you. No one in the universe is more loved than you. And you will never be more loved than you are right now. You will never be more accepted than you are right now. Because the king of the universe came for you. You are chosen. You are holy. You are dearly loved. Let that in. Before we talk about behavior, before we talk about how we should dress, remember, you're chosen. You're holy. You're dearly loved. That's who you are. That's who I am. So just dial into that for a minute and just sit in that and let the Holy Spirit just just absorb that. Just let the Holy Spirit let that in, that that's who you are. In fact, one of the best things that you can do for your spiritual growth is, is not try harder. It's to meditate every day on who God says you are. It's one of the best things you can do for your spiritual growth, to let it in. This is who I am because this is who God says I am. Now, I'll, I'll just confess to you right now that for many years, um, for many years, I was a hypocrite. I was a hypocrite because I would tell other people to do this, but I didn't, which is the worst form of hypocrite. It's not just judging people, basically. I actually told people to do it and then didn't do it. And what I often did, even as a pastor sometimes, is live out of this longing for approval from somebody else. Like I was always trying to get my acceptance, trying to work really hard and get people to like me or whatever. And it was coming out of shame and, and brokenness and all kinds of stuff like that. But for the last six to eight months, I've been actually doing this, what I've told other people to do for years. I'm actually doing this and getting my approval and my acceptance from Jesus, and it's changed who I am. 
And so I have a list of scriptures. I'll just give them to you. Uh, we're going to put them up on the screen. These are my scriptures. You, you pick your own or you just steal mine. I'm sure. I, I mean, they're in the Bible. They're, I have no copyright on these. Um, and, and so um, I'm sure I got some from somebody else. Here, here are my scriptures that I read every single day in the morning, usually before other people are awake. These are, these are I, I go over this and I've personalized it to, to, to say me. This is not a quote from these scriptures. This is what these scriptures say, right? So I, I, I get open the, this and I say, the Lord loves me with an everlasting love. In other words, his love never began for me. It was always there for me from the foundation, before the foundation of the earth. Ephesians says, that means his love's never going to end. He loves me with everlasting love. The Lord delights in me and rejoices over me with singing. He delights. God likes me. He de- I, I bring God joy. So do you. So, in fact, you bring God so much joy, he just breaks out into song. That's what, the, that's what Zephaniah 3.17 says. Because of Jesus, I am holy and blameless in God's eyes. That's not when I die. That's now. Right? Because of Jesus, I am forgiven, perfected forever, and free from condemnation. The Romans 8 says there's now, right now, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know that, that Hebrews 10.14 there? Uh, that's, where I got, that's where we get the perfected forever. Hebrews 10.14, it'll blow your mind. It says, it says um, uh, because of the one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being made holy perfected for that's 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 who i am that's who you are and then also jesus will never leave me or abandon me i am a son of god and those are the scriptures that i go over every morning now and i say this is who i am whatever i feel like this is what is true and then i take it a step further and just in 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 the quietness and the chambers of my own self with nobody there just being quiet closing my eyes i actually hear god say these things to me I actually put it in words to say this. I hear God saying, Tim, I love you with an everlasting love. You know how much joy you bring me? I burst into song because I delight in you. Because of, because of Jesus, you are holy and blameless. You are, for Tim, you're forgiven. You're perfected forever. You are free from condemnation. If there's any voice condemning you right now, it's not mine. And every excuse you could give me for why I shouldn't love you, I already took care of on the cross. And then, Tim, I'll never leave you. I'm never going to abandon you. You're never going to be alone. You're my son. And as I've done that, as I've meditated on who God says I am and heard him saying it to me, it has changed me. And I'm a new person. I'm not, I'm not the old Tim, not the old self. I'm the new self, but not because I'm trying harder. I'm not trying harder. Actually, I just believe in I am who God says I am because behavior follows identity. And I would just invite you to join me in that. Join me and, and, and get these scriptures. Get other scriptures. It doesn't matter. Get scriptures of who God said. And may, you know, with the, with the quarantine, maybe some of you have more time. I mean, obviously, somebody had time to put these cardboard cutouts in the sanctuary. You, you have more time. So, so, so memorize these scriptures. Pick out other ones. And every day, say that and, and hear God saying them to you. That's the first big idea. Identity, uh, behavior follows Identity. And here's the second one, and I only have time to very quickly introduce it. But here's the second one. Verse 13 says this. 
forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, there's a key here, and it's so simple, we often read over it, but I want you to stop and let this in. See, for a lot of people, if you ask them, so what does God want from you in, during the pandemic? Like, what, how does God want you to treat people? If I just ask you that, a lot of you would say, you would go instantly to the golden rule, the so-called golden rule in, in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus said, you want to sum up all the law and the prophets? And there's a lot in the law and the prophets. Jesus said, I'm going to sum it up in a sentence, do to other people as you would have them do to you. And, and, and can you imagine if we actually did that? Like, especially in an election year. You know, like, how do I want to be treated? Well, if you disagree with me politically, I would like for you to just assume that I, I'm at least being sincere. I mean, I can be sincerely wrong, you know, but at least give me the benefit of the doubt not to caricature my view, not to just name call. And, and that part of the problem with American politics is we quit talking about ideas and now we just label people and call them names. Right? So if I want to follow the golden rule, how do I want to be treated? I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt, and let's talk about the idea. So what should I do? The same thing to you, right? That's the golden rule. And if we as Christians lived it, it would change the world. It really would. But what Paul says here is actually more radical than that. Paul isn't saying treat people the way you want to be treated. No, he's saying, and this is big idea number two, treat others the way Jesus treats you. Just marinate in that right now. The measure of how we treat others isn't the way we want to be treated, but how God has treated you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And Jesus said this in John 15, verse 9. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, that's great. I mean, you talk about crazy love, with apologies to Francis Chan. That's crazy love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity have been in perfect loving relationship. And Jesus said, as the Father perfectly, infinitely loves me, so I have loved you. That'll blow your mind. And then he said in verse 12, here's my command. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. <laughs> so, so, did you get that? So the, Jesus said, as the Father loves me, so I've loved you. Now you go love other people the way I love you. The measure isn't just how I want other people to treat me. It's, it's what? It's agape love. The kind of love Jesus has for us, which is what? It's love without strings attached. It's love regardless of the payback. It's love that extends beyond the friends and family discount and even to enemies. It's a love that forgives. It's a love that blesses those who curse it. It's a love that is self-sacrificial even for enemies. So as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, what are we called to? We're called to love and forgive people the way Jesus loves and forgives us. We're called to put on Jesus. How are you going to do that? <laughs> well, that's what this series of messages is for. But I'll say this. It's not going to be trying harder. Trying harder will just make you more legalistic and religious. It's only going to happen when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're empowered by the Spirit, and we're living out of the new identity, the new self. It's the newness that's flowing out of us. And when that happens, when we clothe ourselves in the new self, when we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
people are going to see him through us. I'll illustrate that and then I'll, I'll be done. Some years ago, many years ago, um, read a book called From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya, uh, which is just a history of Christian missions uh, through biographical sketches, really, which I think is one of the best ways to read histories through biography. And uh, tells the story of Dr. Carl Becker. Now, you may or may not have heard of Dr. Carl Becker before, but let me tell you, heaven's heard of him. Early in the 20th century, uh, he had a wealthy medical practice in Pennsylvania, and he uh, gave it up, actually, to move to the Congo and literally moved into a mud hut. Um, he built a hospital there, uh, and during the week, he would practice medicine. On the weekends, he would go and preach the gospel, and he actually uh, drew pictures, and he made a book that you could read the gospel without being able to read, right? It was just pictures, the gospel and pictures, uh, and on a different occasion, he would find other people. One time he ran into a Congolese soldier who was giving the gospel to somebody else through this wordless book. Uh, that he had, Somebody had given it to him, and he had gotten saved, and he was telling them. And so he would do that on the weekends. And so over the years, he did thousands of surgeries. He delivered 500 babies a year, which is incredible. Uh, by the 1950s, he was treating 4,000 lepers on his 1,100-acre leprosy village. He became a world-leading authority uh, on leprosy. And, and, and people from Europe and America were coming to learn from him about leprosy. And his whole thing was that he was trying to just do what Jesus would do. I mean, Jesus preached the kingdom, and he healed the sick and raised the dead, and there's no record of Jesus, you know, delivering a baby. But all the other things. And he was just wanting to clothe himself with Jesus. And a lot of really great things were said about Dr. Becker, but the greatest tribute he ever got, he could ever be paid, and, and that any of us could ever be paid, was paid to him by his, one of his African medical trainees who said this, and I quote, Many missionaries had preached Jesus Christ to me, but in the Munganga, and that's the word for doctor, in the Munganga, I have seen Jesus Christ. Wow. Many missionaries had preached Jesus. But in him, I saw Jesus Christ. Oh, that people would say the same about New Life Church. Oh, wouldn't it be great if, 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 if people said, you know, I've been to some churches that talked about Jesus, but I came to New Life and I saw Jesus. Because people there, they... They wear compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And they forgive as Jesus forgave them. And they love the way Jesus loved them. I would love for that to be said about me and about you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And as we, as we pray today, um, just want to take a moment. We're going to receive communion in just a moment. And I want us to do this message before we actually receive communion. And the way... We're going to do that 
is just, just in the quietness of where you are right now, just maybe bow your head or close your eyes. And just, I just, first of all, want you to hear God saying these words to you. Because this scripture is written to us. I just want you to take, just take a second and hear God saying, you're chosen. I picked you. Just hear, hear the Lord speaking to you right now saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You are holy. Through the one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being made holy. Just, just, just hear God speaking that to you right now. You are dearly loved. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're accepted. Just hear God say that to you. And then respond by just saying to him, maybe even under your breath right now, what, what you want to say in response to that. I, I want to say, Lord, I don't feel like I deserve it, and I don't. But you, Jesus, have made me valuable and worthy because Jesus was worthy. So I want to put on Jesus. I want to do what the scripture says, realizing who I am in Christ and that new identity. I want to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiveness, and love. And I want to live out of that. 